Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. And welcome to episode 150. This is a special episode with a special episode number. And today we have on a guest. I'm so happy to talk to her. I am speaking with Pam, Pam Z. Hi, Pam. Hi, Lily. Thank you for doing this with me today. Thank you, Lily. I really appreciate this podcast. It's been very, very helpful on my journey. So thank you for all you do. And I, you reminded me, I've, I've met you. You were the little blonde window on our virtual retreat last year, right? Didn't you yes. attend the, the High Wraith Hope and Healing Retreat in the spring of, I think, 2022? Yes, I think it was April. April. That's right. And so you attended it virtually. How? And I was in person with about 20 or 30 NPEs, adoptees, and donor-conceived people. And then we would bring out the screen and the laptop, and we had some people attending virtually. How was that experience, though, being at it virtually? Um, it was good. Obviously, not as good as being there. It just made me want to jump through the screen, um, especially when we were watching um, Rebecca autumn oh, my gosh. Uh, yes reckoning with the primal wound but yes it, it was good i was glad to be a part of it though in the way that i could because i live in canada i'm in southwestern ontario so uh, with a little one i don't always have the time or, or resources to get there but it was good to be a part of it the only part that didn't work was the drumming the sound wasn't coming across oh, yeah. um, when we did the drumming circles but fred and uh, Faye and i we asked to get put into our own little chat so we had our own little discussion while you enjoyed the drumming. <laughs> oh, I bet you really learned a lot about Fred and Faye. They were also attending virtually that weekend, weren't yes. they? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's, I'm sorry you didn't get the full experience being there in person, but I made sure and come over and like wave and chat with you guys, but I hope you didn't feel too excluded. No, and you actually made us feel more included. You came up a couple of times and they had some fun with me. At one point it was just me and I was balanced on some toilet rolls, which was uh, <laughs> giving everyone on the other side a good laugh. And they finally uh, clued me in. I meet with them all the time on the Zoom calls. So they know I have a good sense of humor and I can take, <laughs> I can take, they took a picture of it to show me how I was set up in part of the room, which was really nice. So no, it was good. The speakers were good. I encourage anybody um, who can to attend those retreats. Uh, I don't think they're doing it virtually anymore because it is really complicated on their end to do it uh, yeah. both ways. But if you can, I'm going to get on a plane. I'm hoping to get to Texas, but we'll see. Oh, is there one coming up in Texas? Yeah, I think it's in the summer. So don't quote me though. I'm a little off on my dates because there's a few conferences and retreats coming up. So I might be getting things mixed up a little. I will put in a link to the High Wraith Hope and Healing Retreats we are speaking of, but they always pick just these amazing, huge houses and bring in great facilitators. And everyone shows up kind of wide-eyed and scared, like, what are we doing here? And they, they just create a beautiful weekend and great food. And and yeah, so I, I hope to do another one in person too. Going back to what you said, what do you mean you were 
on toilet roll, toilet paper rolls. Well, so they were trying to get me up high enough. I, th- I think I could be wrong. I know Erin, if she's listening to this, she'll be chuckling, but we were doing an activity. Remember where we traced ourselves? Yes, I do. So I think it was that one so that I could get a better view of everybody because some <laughs> people were up against the wall, some were on the ground. I was on the ground. I had to trace myself, which was hilarious. But <laughs> I, I can figure things out on my own. It was, uh, that was a really good one. I still actually have it. Oh, I know. Okay. So they're putting you like the laptop up so I could have a better view. Yeah. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. So we had these huge sheets of brown paper and we were, we traced our bodies and then we took different colored markers and pencils and we put in where in our body and what color we felt and what, what emotion or, or feeling we had. And, you know, like some people, they had, um, tightness and anger in their chest and some people had sadness in their throat and it was a different color. It was really, yeah, that was a great, um, that was a great thing to do, but very hard to trace your own body. (laughs) I made it work. I'm, uh, I'm in training and development. So I've done a lot of things as a facilitator. So I'm like, well, I I can figure this out. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't my best drawing of myself, but it, uh, the activity worked. So. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, area of pain and stress. Yes. Yeah. Well, Pam, let's, um, we'll talk about some more at the end about something that you have been working on, but first let's hear your story today. And why don't you go ahead and start with your background, your family of origin, and we will take it from there. Okay. Um, so I am from a small city in Southwestern Ontario. I'm from a hockey town. I do not play hockey. Um, but yes, a kind of mid-sized city. My uh, parents, so I'll refer, I'll probably bounce back and forth between saying my dad and BCF. Uh, that is the father that that I lived with and knew my whole life. Um, so my parents were born uh, in the 30s and the 40s, and I am the youngest of three children. Um, my father was an interesting uh, character. I'll say character. Um, He passed away in 2001 and he was very, it's kind of complicated with him. He was very friendly and outgoing. People liked him. Um, He was very childlike. So I always describe my dad finished school in grade eight and I don't think he matured beyond that. Um, So although he did live to be 63, he was always uh, very young and uh, not the smartest man, but always smiling, um, not necessarily the best father figure. And I'll delve into a little bit of something with him in a minute. I'll just have to catch my breath for that one. Um, my mom, uh, born and raised in a very small town, beach town. My mom never swam, but lived beside a really cool little beach in Ontario. Not as nice as the beaches in, in the States or where everyone's traveling. But anyway, um, small town, like less than 500 people, everyone knew everyone's business. And, um, my mom had a tendency to, to, she was very nice and polite, but she got into a little bit of mischief, mostly, um, spending time with an older boy, uh, in her days. So she, I believe was, I'll still never know the real story. I wish I could find those old letters, but they're gone. I think she was sent to my hometown, uh, to keep her out of trouble, but it didn't really work that well because my parents, when they met, um, my mom got pregnant in 1961 and in, uh, sorry, yes, in 1961 and they had a shotgun wedding. Uh, my 
my grandmother on my dad's side was not very happy and never, ever forgave my mother. It was all my mother's fault because, you know, that's how it works. It's just the girl's fault. And um, yeah, so they didn't have a, a good marriage. My grandmother never forgave my mother for the shame. I'm going to use those words. I don't know that anyone used those words in my family. Um, I didn't grow up really getting that. I don't think I caught the math until I was a little older. Um, yeah, so my sister is 11 years older. And then I have a brother who is 14 months older than me. So a big gap of 10 years between my sister and my brother and I. Uh, my brother and I, we look alike, so much alike when we were kids that people always thought we were twins. So we were often mistaken, especially before he started to grow much taller than me. So we used to be around the same height, these two little blonde haired, green and blue eyed. One of us was green, one of us was blue, but my eyes have kind of gone more green and his look a little more blue as, as he's aged. Um, we did look like my sister, but my sister definitely had more of um, my dad's features but there were pictures that hung in our living room and they were black and white of my sister as a kid. And people used to always compliment that those were cute pictures of me. So just to give you that reference where I know there's a lot of NPEs who, who say they didn't look like anyone and they felt like they stood out. It was definitely not the case uh, in my situation. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I thought I looked like my mom. I always kind of thought I was a bit of a blend of both of them, but um, my dad had dark hair and, and dark eyes and so did my sister. But again, my brother and I both favored um, my mom. So we grew up uh, fairly poor and it progressed from like bad to worse in those early years. And I'm still grateful. Obviously, all of these experiences helped me be where I am today. But um, my dad being uneducated and as much as he was sweet, he also had a hot temper and that would often cost him jobs. So I think things didn't go his way. He would use some choice words and either quit or get fired, probably more on the fired end. So he was constantly in and out of work. Um, my mom was always carrying everything, paying for everything. Um, when it, we used to go shopping, and I don't know if you had them in the States, but we had a few stores here where there was like a department store on one side and a grocery store on the other in the same building. And my father would tend to disappear to the department store when it came time for my mom to pay for the grocery bill. And that's kind of what I saw. So I spent a lot of time being frustrated with him. Uh, the next part, there's a trigger, just, I'm only going to say something quickly, but a trigger warning for anybody out there. Um, my father uh, did sexually abuse me until I was uh, age six. And um, it's kind of one of those unusual things where I can say that I actually stopped him. Um, it was something I said as a kid, I was in um, brownies. I don't know if you have brownies and I know you have girl guides or girl scouts mm -hmm. in the U.S., and I had just, I don't remember a lot. I've processed a lot in therapy over the years, but I just gone through becoming officially a Brownie and we had to, you know, do our commitment and say our promise. And I guess I took that to heart and I stood up to him and said, I'm a Brownie now. And I said something else. And I said, and you can't do this to me anymore. And I know it sounds weird if anyone could just say that an abuser would stop. But in my situation, I think because my dad was so childlike and Again, I don't know what it was. He stopped, but I still lived the rest of my life in fear that he would do something. So I was always uncomfortable, kept my door closed. You know, he would leer and sometimes get too close, but nothing ever happened again. But I definitely spent most of my life until he passed away absolutely hating him. Um, I never touched my father. I didn't hug him or hold his hand or sit on his lap. There, we didn't have any of that. So I just... 
I think it's important to say this, not to make the story about that, but just to understand how broken it was, but also how complicated it was. Because um, for me, I'm not religious in a traditional sense, but so to me, forgiveness isn't about religion. It's just about, like most people say, setting yourself free from what's happened. So when my dad was dying in 2001, um, I was the last person in the room to see him. He was in a coma. Um, he had a severe infection. He had had a stroke and he was unconscious, but I told him that I forgave him and and that he could go because my sister and my brother weren't able to make it. Um, my brother was on the other side of Canada and he couldn't get a flight. I can't remember what was going on with the airlines then, but he wasn't able to get on a plane and my sister was home with, with uh, sick children. So I told him he could go. My mom had already left the room and then my dad passed away a couple of hours later. So I made my peace and I've done a lot of therapy since. Um, so certainly coming to why I'm on the podcast, it was definitely a, a big shock to all of that. So we grew up poor. We moved a lot. We ended up, sorry, I'm jumping around. We ended up in geared to income housing. I'm not sure what you would call that in the States, but uh, basically, you know, lower income areas where your rent was charged based on how much money uh, your family made. Lots of crime, lots of great kids, lots of people that I'm still uh, connected to today who definitely grew up um, with a lot of a lot of struggles, addictions in the home, abuse, things like what I went through. But I haven't been super open about that happening to me, to the people that are close to me in my life. But since I've joined the NPE community, I talk about it every time I'm on a call. So um, I think it's been good in that sense. And I finally told my husband and I'm starting to uh, tell some other people in my life. So that is helpful. So again, uh, Struggled through the childhood. Um, my sister was much older when she got married and got a good job. She started helping us out. So although we were, you know, quote unquote, poor kids living in a poor neighborhood, we had moved from a nicer neighborhood, not a high end neighborhood, sort of middle class. My sister always made sure that we had nice clothing so that when we went to school, we fit in. Um, and then in the new neighborhood, we didn't fit in because we were rich kids in the poor neighborhood because we had a dad. We had a car, which those two things most uh, a lot of people didn't have. And, you know, physically we had, you know, extra toys and extra clothes and things. So it was kind of, I've always felt a little bit out of place, especially ever since I turned um, 11. Another thing that's important just about that time for a frame of reference is when I was 11 and we were settled in and I was digging up in a cupboard. We have stores here called Canadian Tire. I don't know what the American equivalent is, but anyway, they sell all kinds of stuff for cars, but also stuff for your home and appliances. So I was looking for Canadian tire money up in this jar that my dad kept in the cupboard. And I was getting a little bit taller, so I was a little bit braver and I leaned up on the stove and reached a little higher and I found a black book. And it was one of those ones that actually said little black book. So I'm not sure how old you are, Lily, but for me, I'm almost 50. So I knew what that was right away. Um, and when I opened it up, it was absolutely full of women's first names, last names, and phone numbers. And the book seemed pretty new. And the printing was the same. So I'm guessing he probably transposed that from another book. Again, I'm just guessing. I never had a conversation with him about it. But that's the day, if I didn't already hate him enough, um, I was really done. And um, he didn't help out. A lot of times he was out of work and my mom would come home and he'd be sitting there all day smoking cigarettes and he'd say, what's for dinner? Mm. Um, so that's kind of the, the prelude uh, to building up to that. Again, I did 
I did watch my dad suffer at the end. I did forgive him. And then in to bring us up to date in my NPE story, um, in uh, 2016, after a few years of struggling to conceive, um, I tried a little bit of fertility. Uh, my husband and I were able to have my daughter. Uh, unfortunately, though, a month later, my mom passed away. So exactly one month uh, to the day after my daughter was born. And uh, it was sudden, very similar to my dad. It, it was an infection. Um, she didn't get it from the hospital. But anyway, it was quite uh, traumatic. I wasn't able to go and see her at the end because I didn't know what was wrong. And she had 105 fever and whatnot. It was very traumatic. Becoming a mom at almost 43 years old was um, definitely a big shock as well as obviously um, being happy and also being super sad. I always felt like my mom and I were very close. I knew that my mom did keep secrets. My mom was uh, very overweight, struggled with her weight. Um, she had, and I didn't find this out until much later. I knew my mom was anxious, but my mom had been being treated for anxiety for a long time, like over 25 years. And I didn't understand that. It makes a lot of sense now in, in looking back and knowing what I know now. And yeah, so she had, um, I don't remember what the term is, but where you pick your skin when you're anxious. So knowing that the baby was coming and all the conversations I had with her about not doing that on her arms so she could hold the baby, she unfortunately was doing it in a hidden spot and it got infected, severely infected. So the worst kind of staph infection, one of the worst, I guess, that you can get. And that's why no one knew. Um, so she passed away suddenly. And so I was kind of, you know, dealing with that, like I said, happiness. My daughter was great. We were able to nurse, which no one in my family had ever done. You know, we we're bonding. So she really just kind of kept me up. But also, I don't know that I fully got to grieve my mom because whenever I would cry, the baby would cry. Um, so I kept myself fairly, you know, calm and neutral. About six months later, after, you know, all that had settled down, I, I was doing some therapy because my sister had just become estranged. Um, from her daughters and from the family. So that actually that happened just before my mom passed away, it made for a very, um, very tense visitation and funeral experience. But I kept myself moderate. I was like, this is about my mom. It's not about me. She deserves to be here, blah, blah, blah. So my sister's not really in the picture. My nieces are going through a difficult time. I'm doing therapy. It's affecting my marriage, all of this stuff. So there's a lot going on. And my brother sends me a text. My brother is, other than looking like me, is the complete opposite. He would never do a podcast like this. He's extremely private. Um, very nice person, but very, you know, business and keep your personal stuff aside. So he sends me a screenshot of his ancestry. Now, this is in 2016. So for anybody that came from those days, you know how much it's changed. So it just, you know, had that simple pie chart. And he's like, hey, have you guys done this? Meaning you know, me and my husband. And I was like, no, but we've been talking about it. We've been talking about it for at least a year. And I was like, I'm not going to do 23 and me, which by the way, I've done. Um, but yeah, I'm going to do it. I literally baby's on me sleeping, nursing. I order two kits. I message my husband, do you want one? He's like, yes. So we order the ancestry kits. And um, like a lot of people, you know, I didn't do it right away. I always kept forgetting because I was eating all the time, nursing around the clock. I finally remember to do it. I get the results back sometime in 2017. And that morning before I did my test, my husband came in and gave me a big kiss goodbye. And I'm like, oh, I'm awake. And the baby was sleeping. I'm like, 
I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to go do my test. So he left for work. So I get the test results back. And the reason I mention this, and it'll make people laugh. I'm sure Ancestry had a good laugh when I called them. Um, I saw that my results came back that I was 50% East European. And back then it just had a big list of countries. Now my husband is East European, born uh, in Albania. So Albania was one of the countries in this massive list. And I thought, oh no, my husband's kiss ruined my test. Mm -hmm. I actually thought that his (laughs) DNA... (laughs) affected my test, didn't think much of it, called them. I'm sure they chuckled. I remember the lady saying, well, I don't think so, but we'll send you another test. And they did. They actually sent me another test. But then motherhood, toddlerhood, life goes on. Three years pass. I'm like, maybe I should redo this. And then COVID hits. I just gone back to work. I was home for a few years, started a new job. In the meantime, Once we got into lockdown, I started working on my family tree again. So I started on the Ancestry website in 2011 before DNA tests um, working on our family tree. And it's important to note, and hopefully this doesn't come out too scrambled in the end, I started this because of my mom's side of the family tree. Um, My grandfather on my mom's side was brought over by an organization from England called the Bernardo Home. So it was an agency or an orphanage, um, and I will, you know, you can't see my air quotes, that was helping uh, destitute families. Most of these children were not orphaned. Uh, They were poor, or maybe the dads had abandoned the family, and they were put into these orphanages, obviously, so that they could, you know, get them off the streets. They started this program uh, in the early 1900s, and my grandfather, by the way, is a lot older than most, because my uh, grandfather was on his second marriage when he had my mom. So he was 57 and a widow. He had five children and my grandma was 44. So very close to my age when she had my mom, she thought she was going through the change of life. And instead she found out she was having her one and only baby, which was my mother. So she had older parents. My grandfather came over to Canada on a boat at 10 years old. Um, He was actually, he thought he was nine. He was actually 10. And because his birth records were a mess, shipped over with hundreds of other children to work on farms. Uh, these kids were not treated very nicely. Some of them were so badly abused. Some children didn't survive the experience. Uh, my grandfather thankfully did. He did not like to talk about it, but I knew that he worked on a farm in Saskatchewan. And that was all he would say. He did not like to talk about it. And uh, eventually his sister found him. So one of his sisters was also shipped over as well to become a a home servant. And what I didn't know before was that he also left three siblings behind. So they were put into Bernardo care, but they weren't part of the program where they shipped them uh, to Canada. So there was a lot of unknown. So I started working on that. But through that, in the early 2011, I had my mom out for dinner and she just pops in the comment. She's like, I wonder what ever happened to that baby that grandpa put up for adoption. I'm like, what are you talking about? So it turned out we ended up having an uncle that I didn't know existed who had been put up for adoption. Uh, The very same night I drove back. I I lived in Toronto at the time. I drove back to Toronto. My sister messaged me and said, there's some crazy lady on Facebook telling us that there's a long lost uncle looking for us. And I'm like, give her my number. Mom literally like just told me tonight. Cause again, my sister was home with sick kids. So she wasn't out for for dinner with us. 
And we reunited with this lovely man for two years. He was 80 years old when he found us, uh, my uncle Reg. And he brought so much, so much joy. And my mom was at the beginning of uh, dementia. So my mom had just, we just put her in a retirement home. She was going through a really difficult time. All of us were. So we had this great, you know, reunion with him. So he had found out some of the Bernardo records he had sent for them. So I was really working on it. And I wanted to find out what happened to these other siblings. So 2019 allowed me some of that time. And then I thought, you know, I should probably get around to redoing that DNA test. I thought it might have expired. So I called Ancestry and they said, well, it probably won't work. And I'm telling you, if you're listening here, maybe you have an old test. I don't know if it won't work, but I decided to send for another one anyway. And uh, I didn't do it until (laughs) uh, I sent it in just before Christmas of 2020. So I got it in the early spring of 2021. So imagine I did my original test in 2016, results in 2017. Didn't pay much attention. I I saw that some people had messaged me over the years. They looked like they were on my mom's side. And I was like, yeah, I'm not sure how we're related. I need to redo my, my DNA test. So I do it. I get the results. And this time it comes back again, 50% East European. Now I've deleted my old results. I did exactly what they said. I took all the screenshots of everything, deleted it, did the new kit. But this time it went into more specifics. Albania and that big list of countries was gone, but it said, Russian, Ukrainian, and Polish. And I almost fell out of my chair. And I love my Ukrainian and Polish friends and, and Russian friends, but I, I know that there is none of that in our background from what I have discovered. Doesn't really register with me. Like, I don't know what I did with that. I was busy. It was super busy at work. And my daughter, a couple weeks later, fell and broke her elbow. So cast, lots of tears. So she was just before she turned five. So it was a really, she was just a mess and a time where she needed mommy. We didn't know it was broken right away. We went, they checked it. um, I guess because it was such a small crack near the elbow, it wasn't like a solid break. It didn't show up on the first scan. I don't know. It's Canadian healthcare. But um, so then the next week I took her back, she was in a lot of pain and I went back to the hospital. We went through, we got her a cast and then I came home And I was like, maybe I should look up those DNA matches, those people that had contacted me. And when I did, I saw my, the top of my list, there was my brother, as you had been before. And it just said close family. This time it said close family, first cousin. I was like, what? And I clicked on the drop down and saw there was other options. And I'm not seeing full sibling anywhere. The closest I'm seeing is half sibling. And I'm sure most of you know where this is headed. And I was like, oh, I think this is wrong. So I started doing some research looking on a few websites, I got busy, put it out of my mind. And the next day I'm waking up and I'm like, I should probably look into that a little more. And then I decided to call Ancestry on my lunch. And they said, well, there is no mistake. Like you've done your test twice. Like we went through the whole thing and they never said one of you has a different dad. They just said clearly at 1600, I think it was around 1600 uh, centimorgans means you're half siblings. So despite having that massive surprise with the ethnicity, it was completely gone from my brain. I thought it must be my brother. (laughs) How I could have come up with that, I don't know. Again, my brother and I look very much alike, but I always thought his eyes were a little bit different. Like they weren't quite as, we kind of had like that dark 
circle on the outside. I can't remember what it's called, but more of like piercing eyes. My sister and I both had them. My brother didn't have that outer circle. So I'm like, well, it's got to be him. My brother lives far away. He's not into the family. He's not into the drama. Like, is this really worth it to tell him? So I kind of, I told one person, I had a meeting with my boss right away afterwards. And she's like, are you okay? And I said, well, not really, but I don't think I want to talk about it. And she's like, if you want to talk about it, you can. Like, you look like you've seen a ghost. So I told her, I said, you know, I think my brother has a different dad. Like, I don't know what's going on here. So I made it through the day. She's like, whatever you need, just let me know. And so finally, you know, two weeks go by. I put it out of my head as much as I could, um, dealing, you know, with all the stuff at home. And I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I cannot breathe. Like I'm almost hyperventilating. And all I can see in front of me is this picture. My uncle had sent it to us years ago when my aunt died. And it was an old picture of my dad when he was about nine or 10. And I remember when I saw it and I scanned it, you know, the old really slow scanner and the dial up, I sent it to my brother because it looked exactly like my brother at that age. So again, remember how I had said, I I never thought that my brother really looked exactly like anybody. So when I woke up at five and I couldn't breathe and I was envisioning that picture, I'm like, it's not him. It's me. And it was all I could do to just keep my act together, stay quiet in my bed and not wake up my little one who like the minute she wakes up with this cast is absolutely sobbing and not happy. She'd be fine at daycare or camp all day. But the minute I'd strap her into the car, the tears would come again. And I was just like, okay, I'm not going to wake up my husband. I'm not going to wake up my kid, but I'm going to, I got them off as fast as I could to their activities. And I started diving through all the old photos and I found it. So My brother's three hours behind, so I had to wait till a decent amount of time to text him to see if he was free without throwing him into a panic, you know, to have a conversation. So I said, can we set up a Zoom call, blah, blah, blah. So it was Friday afternoon, noon for me, 9 a.m. for him. And uh, yeah, so I start telling my brother. And he said, you know, I'm a bit surprised, but I'm not shocked. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I swear to God. And my brother is very truthful. He's like, I don't know. I didn't know anything, but I always had this sense that one of you, meaning you or my sister, wasn't mom and dad's. He's like, I have like two, like he has a photographic memory. He said, like, I have two images of where we were all in a room together when we were kids. The first time I thought that, and it just came to him. Like he had no notice. He's like, I have not actually been on my ancestry account since I sent you that screenshot and legitimately he hadn't because he did give me his password and everything to go in and look, he had to like, he had to think of what his password was too. I think we had to reset it anyway. So we had this big long talk of um, all the possibilities, but we still didn't sign on to his account because we were just having this really, you know, heavy conversation of, well, if it is, who could it be? Right. What about this person? This person was around. And anyway, so I hadn't seen or talked to my sister in quite a while too. I get off. I'm like, well, I'm not ready to deal with her right now. So I get off the call with my brother. He goes to his next meeting and then I log on to his ancestry. I'm home alone. I'm working from home. There's nobody around. Again, my parents are deceased. Um, Yeah, there's nobody to talk to. My husband's uh, over an hour away at work and I see you know, and I've been working on both sides, my BCF side and my maternal side of my tree. And I see my brother's matches and there's not a lot of them, but his top matches are all people from my dad's side. And I flip back quickly and I know they're not on mine, but I go back and I look at mine and I see that, uh, 
I'm not related to any of these people. And then the whole experience, what people say, like the living room I was in is the second one over my garage. And I honestly felt like, like the, the floor was falling. Like I was sinking in and literally going down the rabbit hole, which is what I called my email to you, Lily. Mm -hmm. Um, I was dizzy. I felt like I was going to throw up. I was crying. Um, and then I, I tried to like catch my breath and text my husband. He, he's a painter. So I needed to make sure that he wasn't on a ladder. I'm like, are you like, are you okay to talk? Like everything's okay. No one died. This is how I have to respond to people. Now, once you've lost your parents, you kind of like, no one's dead. Everyone's okay. My daughter's all right. But can you talk? Cause I'm like, I'm not texting this. You know, no one talks on the phone anymore. So he's like, yep, give me five minutes. So he went somewhere and called me and then I was just, I don't even know if he could even understand what I was saying, but I told him cause he knew I was looking into this, you know, it's 100% me. And it didn't hit me. Like it was like those couple of weeks leading up to it. And even those couple of days between when I thought about the picture, I still like, I couldn't face the reality of it. So I messaged my boss cause she also knew I had this pending meeting and uh, she's like, take the rest of the day off. Like if you need Monday off, do whatever you need to do. And I'm, you know, I'm so sorry. Just let me know what you need. It's the only time I took off and I was actually, uh, planning a vacation. We were leaving on vacation uh, the next week to a cottage where there was spotty internet. So I got up the courage to uh, meet up with my sister. It was a bit tricky to maneuver. My sister had fallen. She wasn't in a cast, but she was in a sling. Uh, Very similar to my daughter's injury, but she wasn't falling off of a swing set. She fell uh, walking her dogs. So she couldn't drive. So I drove to her I told her in a Tim Hortons parking lot, which is our coffee shop around here and just dropped the bomb. So my sister, unlike my brother, um, I didn't want to give her time to think about it. I wanted to just drop it on her. She is 11 years older than me. So she had the young parents. She had the shotgun marriage parents. They were, my dad was a heavy drinker back then. I know that she had a very different childhood than we did. Um, and I knew they had friends around at the time. Um, you know, a very different lifestyle. So I told her, unlike my brother, she was crying. She was very upset. She had absolutely no idea. Her face was beet red. She just told me that she uh, just found out she was diabetic too. So I'm like, I need to take her for lunch. That's what we were going to do. So I can't do this for too long. And then I just grabbed her hands and I said, okay, so who was around when you were 10? Like who was around the house? Who was around mom and dad? And then she said this man's name who I will say is Jack. That's the the name that he went by at work and with my family, not his given name. And she said the last name, I'll call it Brown for the sake of the podcast. She said, Jack Brown. And I said, well, that doesn't sound very Ukrainian, Polish or Russian, but maybe his mother is. She said, I don't know. And she lit up though. She was smiling and talking about, you know, how wonderful he was and how, you know, her chatty Kathy doll, he bought her in the sixties and how like every birthday and Christmas, he would always ask her what she wanted. And because my parents were poor, you know, she would say, oh, you know, this item. And he would buy it for her. And and she said, like, mom and dad would just light up when he would come around. But he would go out drinking with dad. And she said, and dad would stay out all night, which I never knew about in those days. And Jack would come back to our place to sleep it off before he would drive back to the nearby small town where he lived with his wife. So, and then she said, and he was a fair bit older than mom and dad. He had full gray hair. So we found him like, how much older? Like in his 50s? She's like, you know what? I'm not really sure. Right. She was a kid. 
And she said, but you know, he kind of disappeared like after we moved to this one neighborhood, which would be around the time that I was conceived. But she said, well, the thing is, we weren't in an apartment anymore. We had a house and I had a bike and her best friends lived a couple doors down. So she said, I was gone all the time with them. And dad started working with their father. So he was gone all the time. He actually had a really good factory job. I think he lasted probably a year before he got fired at that. So she said, he very well could have still been coming around. And we were just, no one was there. Um, my brother was a baby. So my brother was four months old uh, when I was conceived. So I knew, like, my my thoughts were, and hers were too, that it had to be someone that my mom knew and trusted. My mom didn't drink. She didn't drive. She didn't go out. She wasn't a partier. Even back then, my, my sister could speak to that. I've never known my mom to be that way. Very friendly and flirty, um, but not someone venturing out with a baby. And, you know, she didn't have babysitters in tow. It was very... They were kind of on their own. My my dad had burned a lot of bridges in his family and, and later on burned them all. Um, so, yeah. So I knew it had to be someone that was a friend that she trusted. I mean, I, my gut instinct didn't go to her being um, assaulted. I really didn't think. Obviously, no one wants to think that, but that was just my gut instinct. So that's the Friday before we leave for the cottage. And again, my daughter just got her cast off. Off we go. I have this information, but I can't go to the library. I can't do anything uh, with this information. So I, I get through the week. Everyone's coming up. It's my daughter's birthday. So everyone's visiting and I'm saying, oh, can so-and-so watch my daughter for five minutes? Then I'd walk away and tell one of my friends and drop the bomb. So that's sort of how I was telling people, putting on my best face for my daughter's fifth birthday party and having my whole world turned upside down. But at least now I have a name, but I'm 99% sure this guy is no longer living if he was that much older uh, than my parents. So I get back, uh, I do my first day of work. Oh, my daughter was sick. So I had like one day with her at home. It was COVID, but she didn't have COVID. She had like a runny nose and the next day she was good and I sent her off. And I drove to the library on my lunch because that's where, you know, the, li the library doesn't show the obituaries online from our local paper. You have to go there and look up, sorry, on the microfiche. So because... His son had the exact same name as him. I found both of their obituaries. So I looked them up and everything matched. My sister had said he worked for this car company, a car salesman. Everything in the obituary aligned. I took those names. I ran home. I started looking some of the stuff up on Ancestry. Then I had to work. I don't know how I worked. I'm not sure what I accomplished in those next couple of weeks. Um, so I found some people that... No one had a DNA match to me. My DNA matches, I was going through tens of thousands long before this whole, would have been much easier if this paternal maternal uh, side view was uh, in play, but it wasn't yet. Mm -hmm. And there were no close matches. Um, the first, first person that I reached out to um, would be my, would be a first cousin. Um, I think she got confused. She thought I was talking about his son who had the same name and his age was the same age as my mom. So he would have made sense, right, age-wise to have been my father. And he never had any children. And he passed away in 1987 when he was 45. So, uh, and sadly, my sister knew him. So he knew my parents. Uh, the other children were older and married and out of town when this affair was likely happening. My sister also remembered that at eight years old, she caught them kissing when they thought she was in bed and she saw them having a grown-up kiss as she described it a long one at the front door. And she, 
She said she stood there frozen for a few seconds, and then she ran back to her room, and she said she never said anything to mom, and she never would have said anything to my dad, because I think her hate for him grows even deeper than mine. Um, yeah, so back to that. Uh, the lady at first was willing to uh, reach out <clears throat> to my possible half-siblings, but then she just went quiet. And I never said, hey, I think I'm so-and-so's daughter. I just said, hey, you know, I think I'm related to, you know, so-and-so Brown from this town you know, just doing some family research. Have you done DNA? So that was really my question almost to everybody is, you know, I think I might be related. Have you done any DNA? And I, there was only three or four people and I got nowhere. Um, so for four months I found my way, I Googled NPE, you know, or not NP, but you know, I found out my dad's not my dad, found my way to all the different groups, thankfully found my way to togetherness heels. That's, that was uh, the first place I really found connection, hopped on a zoom on a Saturday speed talking, crying the whole time. Um, Aaron and everyone, Fred, they were all amazing. Annie, <clears throat> Cindy, I'm trying to remember who was all on that first call. Mm. Colleen, wonderful people. Good people. Yes, very good people. So I, I landed, I felt like, you know, when you drive up to a place too fast and you see like the people in the commercial and they run out and the door is still open. That's what it felt like when I dropped into that meeting. <laughs> My daughter was downstairs. I had her busy with something. I would just needed to like talk to someone. So I worked with a couple of people on a letter. Um, my first therapist was my old therapist. He's great. He was fascinated. He was like that guy sitting there with the popcorn, just like listening to the story, but he was absolutely no help. So I found uh, a trauma recovery coach through the NP community. She was great, but unfortunately, I think she went through her own um, struggles. So she disappeared. And then finally, I ended up working with the therapist I'm working with now, although she's not, she hasn't worked with anyone other than me. Um, she's been fantastic. We've been doing EDMR together. So anyway, backing up, I worked on a letter, took me four months. I contacted my uh, second youngest half sibling, who is approximately 75 years old. So they're between 73 and 84 years old. Mm. My bio father was 60. That's six zero when I was born. My mom was 30. I'm guessing by the timeline of what my sister had mentioned, if they were having a long-term affair, my mom was probably 25 and he was probably 55. Um, he was a car salesman, you know, big bow ties, tacky clothes. It was like the late sixties, early seventies, all the stereotypes, you know, I, I tried to have lots of laughs, but no pictures of him anywhere. Went, went through all my mom's stuff because with my mom being passed away, you know, some stuff disappeared, but I, I'm a picture saver. I dug through everything. That was a bit re-traumatizing because of the poverty. I found out more things. Um, at the time I was conceived, they were four months behind on property tax. They were behind on their mortgage. They had a brand new baby, which was my brother, who was probably a big surprise 10 years later, and then me coming along. So I'd always felt like my mom loved me, but I always felt unwanted, like this sense that my timing wasn't great in the house. And I'm sure I probably attributed it to money. But now knowing this, clearly there's a lot more to it. Uh, my bio dad's uh, obituary said that they were very involved in their church and that he was the head of this nasty little group, which it doesn't say that, but in my research from what little I found, it was a religious group. I don't know if it was connected to their church. I can't find anything, but basically they hid behind religion, but it was a racist group. Um, so that was a big and tough pill to swallow. And I worked on that letter. I sent it to 
the sister I thought I was had the most in common with on paper. She was also the easiest to find online. Um, sent it registered mail, so she had to sign for it. It took an extra day. It missed her, and then um, she emailed me right away, like within an hour of receiving it. Wrote a nice response. You know, um, I kept going on about you know how I was so sorry that you know to be coming to them with this and you know, just how emotional it would be and, and that the last thing I want to do is upset them. And I don't know, I use some flavorful wording, like in the evening of their lives, right? Like trying to be polite, not calling them old, but understanding that, you know, this is a big shock to anybody, but in later years, much more so. So she said, the first thing I want you to know is that um, I'm not upset. And I understand that this is very emotional for you. I'm not upset for you contacting us. I don't think our dad is your dad, but anything is possible. Um, she poo-pooed the ethnicity estimates because I talked about that on 23andMe. Because as we went through this, like my brother and I retested together at 23andMe. My sister tested. I put my DNA on all the sites, you know, family tree DNA, my heritage. Um, because again, there was no matches. There were people who had Jack in their tree. And the tricky part of it was that was another thing I saw. Sorry, I skipped over. Is in his tree, he was the only person in his family that went by the name, and I'm calling it Brown. Everyone else had this Z last name, this very Ukrainian name, and he didn't. And it took me a long time, but I found his birth record, and his birth record had him with um, the Brown name. And it looks like because all of the birth records for all of the new immigrants were a mess. Like his parents' names were all jumbled and misspelled, first names and last names. But what tied it to the same house was that they had homestead numbers because they were all brought here to farm and to start up Saskatchewan. So the homestead number was the same. And I found his dad, my biological grandfather's name and application for the homestead. So I put it all together. I figured it was a mistake. Um, that they probably never fixed. I found probate records for when his father died. He was seven when his dad died. And it had him with the same last name as his siblings. And then, um, so that made it really tricky too, because, you know, we had this name that he went by, but that wasn't the family name. I know his birth record was obviously incorrect. And he was born in 1913. And his parents came from Ukraine. His two older siblings were born in Russia, it said. So it was really hard. I looked at a lot of records. I translated a lot of records from other languages. I just was not getting anywhere. And then I noticed I did have one match that was 100 CMs. So not great. But when you're looking at <laughs> having no other close matches, uh, he was definitely showing uh, having the Ukrainian side. He was on all the websites. Every site, Jed Match, Family Tree, all of that, but no trees. And my gut instinct from listening along and reading everybody's NPE stories, I'm like, he's got to be adopted. Because why else would his DNA be everywhere? He doesn't have any private trees. He doesn't have anything up anywhere. And so I kept chasing, trying to chase him down. Finally, I got his email off of Jed Match, which was not his email. It was actually um, his wife. So if she ever listens to this, she knows how I feel. She's awesome. So they were traveling, unfortunately, and finally she got back to me and she seemed a bit busy. Which side are you interested in? You know, the Ukrainian side or this side? And anyway, it turned out that not only was he adopted, but his birth mother was adopted. And I was like, oh, could this get any harder? Right. I finally have a hot match. Um, so 
it took us a little while. They finally got back to their home and we messaged a bit more. And then I finally just went for it. I decided to tell her my story. I was like, here's why I'm bugging you. Here's why I need your help. You know, I found out my dad's not my dad. And I just went, Bleh. and she wrote me back immediately. And the first thing she said, I'm so sorry about what you've gone through. And then she shared a story about a friend of hers from the opposite end being contacted by um, a son that her husband had just died. And shortly thereafter, this young man contacted them and said, your late husband was my father. And it turned out to be true. So she had helped her friend through from the other end. Um, so anyway, she was wonderful. We messaged back and forth. She, they had researched both of his parents, uh, his birth parents. And although they were passed away, they were much older when they had him too. Um, they never found out her birth name because all of that was blanked out in her birth records. But they knew she was born in the exact same small town as Jack. Uh, in 1915, this town housed 400 people and they were all new immigrants from Ukraine. So I'm like, they have to be related. But again, I know DNA and low amounts can be tricky. So, you know, we didn't get anywhere with that. Uh, in the meantime, I'm dealing with Susan's letter that said, you know, you know, we'll look into this. I'll talk to my siblings. I don't know that we'll all feel the same way because I'd asked them to do DNA tests too. I told them a little bit of the background. I didn't tell them about the kiss. I just kind of told them all the research. I'm trying everything. I'm so sorry to do this, but you know, your dad's name is the only name that my sister gave and it, the timing and everything, it makes sense and blah, blah, blah. So two weeks later, they write me back. And again, I'm still in communication with my cousin Gary and his wife and all of that. And there's three or four lines and it it's titled family question mark. And um, we're so sorry, Pam, but um, we think that your sister's memories are confused and they hung on. I described that their dad wore some type of glasses. I didn't say sunglasses. I said gold room glasses. Our dad never owned, you know, this style of gold sunglasses. We looked at over a hundred pictures. Um, we think that you're grasping at straws. We're not mad at you for contacting us. Um, please never contact us again. Good luck on your search with deepest compassion. And then put her last name and her, she runs a charity and put her charity name at the bottom. And I was like, oh. yeah, there was nothing compassionate about that. So no, not I put it on my lunch. I threw myself on my bed. Sorry, I'm going to cry. <laughs> you know, I made those sounds like, like I made when my dad died and when my mom died. And then I heard my messenger going off, my work messenger. And it just pulled me out. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. So I ran over to the computer and people were having a bit of a joke about something. So I chimed in and then I said, I'm going for a walk to my boss. I said, I'll be back online in a bit. And I just put on my running shoes and, and went out and I was so devastated. They were my only hope. And I knew I had a little bit of hope maybe with, with Gary, but I just never, I never thought that as much as I know you play out all the scenarios, I just never thought that they could be so cruel so quick. Like the two weeks was giving me hope. So I thought, okay, I'm going to leave them alone. They're old. There's nothing else to go on. Um, in their earlier response, they denied the ethnicity part, which um, because she said, we have adopted children in our family who are native 
And they did a test and it didn't show any native ethnicity. And that's like one of the hardest ones to find. I think most of us know have done any research that um, there's not a large pool of uh, folks who test from some of those areas, uh, especially in Canada, in the DNA databases. So that's probably why they're not showing up. But I don't know. The fact that she has children that were adopted and she was so quick to dismiss me was also a bit of a, a bit of a shock. But anyway, off we go. So I decide to leave them alone. And then a couple weeks later, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I had to finish some work. And I'm like, okay, I have to pick up my daughter in half an hour. I'm going to give myself 15 minutes. I put 15 minutes on my phone and I am going to, and I stopped myself. I'm like, nope, I'm not going to look for me. I'm going to look for Gary's mom. And I took every misspelled version. There were quite a few of my uh, suspected then birth father's last name. And I found her. I found his mom's birth record. But I was so confused. I've been doing so much research for so long. I, I felt like I had looked at all of this before. And I had, but I hadn't sent it to them. So I'm sending her all these screenshots. Here's the homestead application. Here's the plot of land. Like I could even plot the, the little area in the middle of nowhere in Saskatchewan where the farm was that they had. And I sent it all to her and they had never seen it. I hadn't sent it before. Um, again, I was a little bit out of my mind. I did that in 15 minutes, went to pick up my daughter. I came back and I already had an email from her and it said, welcome to the family. <laughs> because that was his mom and all the records showed like she had the first names of his parents and siblings. And that was all, I found all their birth records too. So I was so glad that I was able to give him that missing piece and it confirmed. I was like, how could it possibly, how could they possibly have the same last name? Even though we don't know how we're related, like he has to be my biological father because of this. So I did some zoom calls, met up with them. I decided not to contact his kids again because I thought again, it's a misspelled version of their last name. I can't tell you how we're related because of, you know, the two layers of adoption what if they just shoot me away again? So that's all I did. And I still continued searching. It wasn't good enough for me. I was like, I have to find a close match. Like I just, I won't know for sure until I see something else. So this past, um, it was September. I was doing some more sleuthing and, um, I had been blocked by one of my, uh, oh, she is my niece. I shouldn't say possible niece on Ancestry from one of those original messages I had sent. Hmm. And so I was looking through people I had messaged. And then I thought, I should look and see again if anybody is showing up in anyone's tree. So again, I type in their last name and I threw in who I thought was my grandfather's first name. And there was a new guy, a new guy created an account with them in the tree. And I start looking and he's native, not related directly to, uh, nothing to do with uh, Susan's children. So I look at the names because I live right next door to uh, Six Nations Reserve. So I recognize those very common names around here. And I'm like, they have to be from my city. And they were. So I'm like, okay, I think this kid, he has to be the child of, you know, these were other people I was looking for. But one of um, Jack's sisters married someone with an extremely common name. And then they had extremely common first names of their kids and so forth. Right. She had three boys. And then the obituary I'd found for the three boys' daughters, it just had all the daughters' first names. And they all had very common first names. And if they weren't married, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. I couldn't figure out who was who. 
Um, so this name appeared to be linked to that line. And if I back up, I had found someone linked to that line the May before, and she was 50 and she had just died of COVID. And I was like, oh my God, I was so devastated for them. I'm like, I am not going to bother this family with, hey, you know, I might be related to you. I'm going to send you a DNA test. I just left them alone. Um, I thought maybe I'll leave them for a year or two. And then if I feel like it's appropriate, maybe I'll connect. So anyway, I'm figuring out who this kid is. So again, I leave work, (laughs) my house, working from home. I run to the library. I find this kid's birth announcement. Sure enough, when I see who his mom is, I'm like, I think I know her from high school. I definitely know her sister's name. So I come home, I go back into Facebook, I figure it out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I know who this girl is, who's probably my cousin's daughter. So my first cousin once removed. So I look her up on Facebook and I'd already connected that her son might be part of this line. And he was my niece's best friend all through high school. Because again, this is a small, mid-sized city. But then I'm nervous because I didn't remember that girl being like very warm and friendly towards me in high school. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then I see we have a friend in common and I'm like, oh, she's an amazing person. Her name is Kelly. And I'm like, Kelly loves me. She knows me. She knows I'm not some crazy person out for their money or whatever. Because I was thinking that's what these people must be thinking. You know, they're older. They probably think I'm out looking for something, even though I reassured them uh, in my message that that was not so. So I messaged Kelly. I said, hey, you know, do you have some time and whatnot? She's like, yeah, I'll call you in a bit. And she calls me. She's like, oh, my God. She said that, you know, her, this girl and my brother had a child together. Like, she's awesome. Oh, my God, I'm sure she'll help you. And she said, my brother's working tonight. He's on shift, but I'll call him in the morning. Well, she didn't call him in the morning. She called him at work. (laughs) And then he called his ex because they're still very good friends and told her in the middle of her birthday dinner. So unbeknownst to me, I didn't know her birthday, we're two weeks apart. We were born the exact same year, two weeks apart. We went to the same high schools. We both went to two high schools, went to the same schools and did not, I knew who she was. She doesn't remember me, but um, I knew who she was. And uh, yeah, so I met up with her uh, just before my birthday in October, gave her a test, crossed my fingers, held my breath that she was going to do it. It took her a little while. Uh, She did it. And then things at work were getting stressful. I'm waiting for her test results to come in. I have a new manager. Things are not going well. And I'm in the rabbit hole. Like I'm, I'm back to, I can't focus. Work is getting super stressful and I'm not having the best click or connect with my manager. So I decided to go off on stress leave and it took me a while. And I finally, I did it on October 28th. I hit send on the email to HR and I've always worked in HR. I'm not in, in an HR role. Well, sorry, I'm about to be again. I'm starting a new job on Monday. This A lot has happened since October. So I hit send on the email going on leave. I, you know, that just let myself go. My daughter and I are sitting there watching TV. Two hours later, I flip up the 23andMe app and I see his name as my first cousin. And I just cried so much. My daughter was like, absolutely stunned like oh my god mommies what's the matter and I'm like these are very very happy tears it had been 16 months that I was looking you know and just having that absolute proof and seeing her name there and I called my husband and he was almost crying on the phone he was pretty close to home messaged my friends and my daughter's just like you know she knows I've been doing family research and she knows there's someone named Jack she found a little I've got one little picture from their church 
um, who I like, you know, cyber stalked over the summer waiting for them to open uh, back in September so I could ask for a photo. Uh, that was an interesting conversation. But anyway, they did send me a picture, black and white. It's not the best. And then I found a bunch of pictures of him on newspapers.com. As a car salesman, there were tons, thankfully, but none really great. And he's old in all of them. So not enough to go like, ooh, does he look like me? So anyway, it's it's just been a couple of months. Um, I spent uh, a day uh, with Lisa. You know, she doesn't know a lot because it was her great uncle. And unfortunately, her dad is in the early stages of dementia. So I don't have any other pictures yet. Not a lot of information. Um, and unfortunately, her dad's in the hospital right now. So I'm not sure where we're going to go with that. But I'm getting up the courage uh, these next couple of weeks. Um, I've been writing a letter another letter to the siblings. So again, I haven't written to them since their response to me a year ago in September um, to let them know that I absolutely do have proof and um, that I'd still like to do the same thing I've asked before is look for medical history, some photos, and for them to share some memories, you know, some funny things about him as a dad. I know my sister said he was quite a character and he was a top salesman, car salesman. So I'm sure he was a you know, a bit of a character. So that is uh, where I'm at with my NPE story. I feel like I talked for hours. I guess it's been about an hour, Lily. Um, so I have proof. I know who he is and uh, it's been fantastic. We're getting to know each other. Um, we're Facebook friends. You know, she's, she stopped by with a little gift for my daughter for Christmas, which was really nice. I've actually brought her, you know, the Russian stacking dolls. I forget what their actual name is. Oh, yeah. I should know this. It starts with an M. Anyway, uh, I, I celebrated Ukrainian Christmas the last two years just for myself. I didn't know if they did. I, I There's a whole religious part. I'll have to write a book probably about that part of the story. I'm not sure if they're this alternative religion. So I don't know that they celebrated Ukrainian Christmas. But anyway, said they didn't typically. I think they did once or twice. I don't think they really lived their Ukrainian heritage so much, the the older generations. But I know who he is. I have a first cousin once removed contact and I went public with my story a few months before I actually found. And then when I talked about very briefly, just finding my answer without any names, my cousin actually replied to it, like letting people know that it was her. So she was very proud to, to take me on as family. So. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> Meant a lot. Still does. So like every, every insecurity, I ever felt about myself because of what my dad did to me was I worked through a lot of it, but it kind of brought a lot of that stuff back up. But the one thing that I am grateful for, and I'm not grateful for being abused, but is that I felt so much shame from that, that when I went through this, it was one emotion I refused to own. I was like, I am not going to feel shame. My mom was in a bad marriage. My dad was obviously cheating in the early years. She had told me once that, you know, she didn't regret having my brother and I, and she loved us, but that, in, and we were talking, I was provoking her to talk about her marriage and why she stayed with my dad and were you ever really in love and all that stuff. This is just when she was beginning to lose her memory. Cause I'm like, it's important to ask these questions before, before they disappear. And she had said in these times, I would have left your dad when your sister was two. It was a horrible marriage. So knowing that whatever it was that they had made her happy, and I know he was twice her age, um, but I think he reminded her of her dad. Her dad was 57 when she was born. She grew up with an older man 
who grew up in Saskatchewan, who worked on a farm. Like maybe there was just some things that reminded her of her father. And he, all my grandparents, with the exception of my dad's mom, everyone passed away. Like I didn't have grandparents in my life. My dad broke from his family when I was eight. He had a big argument with his mom. So I really grew up without a lot of family on either side. So it's been, it's been a lot of things, but anyway, I refuse to feel shame. I feel compassion for, um, you know, Jack's wife, because she's been described as I was nosing around in the historical societies, people would be like, Oh, I know. So, and so, Oh, she was a lovely lady. Like people always, she did a lot of charity work. I think there was a presence with their family and mentioned that she missed Jack's funeral because she wasn't dressed appropriately um, to go in that the family wouldn't have approved, not her family, not her dad, but his family. So I think there was a lot of presentation and airs and my family certainly did not fit the mold. Like I don't think his wife or other than his one son who was also a mechanic, I don't think anybody would have known about his little drinking buddy. Um, my parents were not religious. He ran this religious group. He was a president of it. I can't imagine he talked to my parents about religion. So I feel like he lived two different lives too. He had a real name that he didn't use. And I feel like he let down his hair when he hung out with my parents and maybe just got to be himself. I don't know. I'll never know, right? Everyone's gone. My mom and I were so close. And I remember when my uncle came and we all that was happening when he reunited with us. And I said, mom, are there any other family secrets? Is there anything else I need to know? And she never said yes. I, I remember jokingly asking her, crying and asking her, begging her and asking her. So I'll never know if she knew for sure. But she always said that I was a week late. And when one of my other lovely NPE friends, Canadian, uh, Carmen had mentioned on one of the calls that she had sent for her birth registration and told me, because in, in um, Canada, it's a lot different than the American ones. Our birth certificates have nothing on them, just our birth date and some, nu some number. So I sent for the birth registration and my mom's handwriting, she wrote that she was 39 weeks pregnant and zero children, uh, zero, wait, what was it again? Two previous children, zero lost births or whatever the questions were. And then someone transposed those numbers beside it. And beside the 39 that she wrote, someone wrote 41 weeks, which would align to my mother's story that she was a week late. But she wrote in her own handwriting that she was 39 weeks. So other than that, that's the only thing that hints to, you know, maybe she was aware of it and lying about the dates. And the other, it's always uncomfortable to hear about your parents being intimate, but that's how we get here. The thing I had always heard when I was a kid was that I was the result of my mom and dad's first time being together after my brother was born. Because my dad would warn people to be careful that they might get pregnant. Yeah. So I think that my dad thought that I was his Christmas present, but I was actually Jack's birthday present because his birthday uh, is right after the holidays. So my dad would have known when they were together. Mm -hmm. So lying by that week would have made sense for her at that time. Anyway, that's my story. So that's where I'm at. Listening to you, I'm, I, I did get a little protective of you hearing your yours, I guess it would be Jack's sibling's response. His kid. And his kids. Is oh, that would be his kids. Yeah, that's right. That would be your your half siblings. Yes. 
So I'm, I know you're preparing another letter. I love that you're going in this saying, I will not feel shame over this. Um, but I am feeling protective of you. And so I hope you get that right mindset for whatever response that they give you. If they, cause I, I know you have people togetherness heals, you have the Facebook groups, you've, you've got zoom calls, get those people around you in case you get another terrible response. Thank you. And my Canadian group too. So, Oh yes. Tell me about the Canadian group. The Canadian group. So let me just pull this up. So, um, Rachel Nichols started a um, Canadian group and so not parent expected Canada, which is a nonprofit organization. I'm just reading this because I want to make sure I I do us good. Uh, Whose mission is to support as many Canadian NPEs as we can in as many ways as we can. We offer a virtual support group. So Tuesday nights, we have regular meetings as well as a team of genetic genealogists. So we have a small group of Canadian search angels. They are awesome. Um, I am not a search angel. I'm so exhausted from searching, but I hope to one day (laughs) be recouped enough because I've also spent a year in chiropractor care from all searching. Uh, They, the search angels uh, help solve DNA cases and help NPEs find their biological parents and families. And just before our call today, I was, I'm hosting and facilitating uh, book club. This was our first book club in the Canadian NPE group, inspired by my Togetherness Heals group. Um, I guess I can mention the book. Are, you, are we okay to? Yes, let's hear it. So we're working our way through healing journey for your MPE discovery. Uh, it's a journal for donor conceived, adopted, and others with misattributed parentage experiences by Lynn W. Spencer. Uh, she's a therapist. And, uh, and I'm still going to plug Eve's uh, journal, Eve's journal, uh, who am I anyway, uh, is great. But I worked through that after the virtual retreat. Uh, this one goes into like more of the specific topics like grief, searching for family. Um, we just finished today. Today was about more about the search and next week's chapter is um, feeling alone. So we're in Canada. She is an American author. Um, but we were able to order it on Amazon and like I had mine within a day, it came quite quick. So it's giving me the chance. I bought it a long time ago, but it's actually making me do the journaling and working through it. So we're not sharing what we've journaled, but we're talking about the discussion points at the end and there's no pressure to buy the book. Like we have someone who joins in who hasn't even bought it because I just, I read some of the quotes and I read some of the questions so that we can have conversations about those topics. And it doesn't matter where you are in your journey. Like we have brand new people, we have DC, um, MP. I don't think we have an adoptee in the book club yet, but in the other book we do. So we're small, we're new. It's a very small book club. There's literally maybe four or five people. We have a guy who's brand new, uh, who's in Europe, who joins us uh, via Zoom. So yeah, it's been very, uh, very good and rewarding. I wish I had more time to dedicate to it, but I'm uh, very grateful for the group um, and for everything Rachel's doing because a lot of the resources online and the DNA angels, all the great stuff you have in the U.S., unfortunately, the the privacy laws are different here in Canada, so it's a little bit harder. I couldn't get uh, DNA angels help in the U.S. because I had low CMs and because it was, I was Canadian. So we're looking to uh, get together information about therapists and different resources for Canadians who are going through this experience. So, Oh, I love it. So are you just like completely drained? You must be going on like four hours of NPE stuff today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and I, 
I did mention to you earlier, Lily, I, I put on my mom's memorial video this morning so that I would try and cry myself out before I came on. But I did cry. I'm a crier. I'm not ashamed of crying. I just hope you could all understand what I was saying because I tend to project that high-pitched voice when uh, when I'm teary. But thank you, Lily. Uh, this podcast has been, honestly, in those early months, even before I found the groups, I literally... Um, played every single episode some I've replayed because now I feel completely different right when I didn't have a clue of who it was and you know when I was in the different struggles like listening to these stories helped me not feel alone gave me perspective gave me ideas like I've researched books and websites I've reached out and said thank you to people I have emailed people who've offered their email um yeah Mm. Thank you so much for doing all of this that you do uh, in the Canadian groups and in our in our already existing groups in the states. If people wanted to reach out to you, how could they do that? Well, they can email me at dreambig d r e a m b i g three seven three at hotmail dot com. And only nice messages. I've heard there's some other ones coming in. I only want to hear from the people who are looking for support. So. <laughs> exact you're right we did i do need to throw out the reminder of that exactly only supportive messages or um, questions yeah um i i can't speak ukrainian but i can certainly uh help you find some uh places to translate your documents it's it's not an easy search when you're looking over there i would like for um you to send me the link to either your your book club or the if you have a website or a facebook page for your Canadian, maybe it's not the book club, maybe it's a Canadian NPE group. If you could send me that, I can throw that in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. Because we have a public group and then we have a private support group. So the public group is just for anyone to come on and get resources and then the public group. So yeah, I'll I'll send you that when we're done. Great. So I make sure I have the right one. We'll off the air talk a little bit about a self-care plan for today. Oh, Pam, I am so grateful for hearing your story today and hearing about the book club and, and what you are doing, going through um, meeting, finding your, your new family members, reaching out to them. Um, and even the horrific childhood trauma you've been through. I'm, I'm so grateful. And thank you for sharing your story with me today. Thank you. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.